Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. You bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you that you are in control of it all. And this morning as we seek you through your word, we pray for your spirit to give us the uh, clarity, also the willingness to follow you wherever you lead us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's been, uh, I can't believe it's been 21 years now, but um, one of my favorite movies that, that Hollywood has put out is called Castaway. Any of you seen Castaway? Yeah. Castaway um, is, um, uh, the protagonist is Tom Hanks. He, he, he plays a very likable man named Chuck Nolan. And Chuck Nolan uh, um, works for FedEx in the movie, and, and he has to take a trip uh, on a FedEx plane, and it's just him and the two pilots. And as they're uh, flying over the Pacific, storm hits, and, uh, well, the plane, the plane crashes, and Chuck Nolan is the only survivor. And uh, he spends the next four years in an uncharted island, isolated and alone. And yet he's not friendless, though. As it happens, he, he finds a number of, uh, of things in the wreckage of the plane, and um, among uh, that was a volleyball. And, and, and in part of the scene, he's, he's cutting something, and and he cuts his hand, and his hand is bleeding, and, and so he's so angry that he grabs the, the, the volleyball and he just throws it. Well, the, the palm print, the, the bloody palm print, is on the, on the volleyball now. And so he grabs the volleyball and he draws eyes and a nose and, and a mouth. And for the next four years, he calls it Wilson because, of course, the brand of the volleyball is Wilson. So now he calls the volleyball Wilson. For the next four years, he, he takes Wilson with him wherever he goes in the island. He, he, he talks to Wilson. They have conversations about important things, even life-threatening things. He's talking to Wilson. And at, at the end, you know, when, when he finally decides he's going to leave uh, the, the island, he makes a, a raft and, and, and he takes it. And, and it's interesting because as, as he's building the raft and, and measuring what he needs, he's talking to Wilson and Wilson is telling him what he needs to do. Oh, yeah, and they're, they're having this argument. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, thing, but... Anyway, as they, he takes the, the, the raft, he takes Wilson with him, and during the time in the water, Wilson gets loosened from the raft, and, and he's lost at sea. And, and Chuck mourns the death of his friend, Wilson. Now, obviously, this is a uh, fictitious story, but it highlights a very important fact. And that is that we as human beings were not created to be in isolation. That we were created to be in community, to live in community. Now, there are moments in life and history that change everything. We talked about that two weeks ago when we celebrated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. 9-11, this terrorist attack changed the course of history here in the United States, really and across the world. And, and there are other you know, events in history that do that, 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 that begin a new era, a new future, and even new people. 
Well, God chose to create such a moment some 2,000 years ago when he launched the church. And after Jesus resurrected, after he, 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 he went back to heaven, he, before he did that, he, we, we, before he went back home, he made a promise to his disciples. And I want you to look at this in the book of Acts. So let's look up in our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. In fact, we're going to stay in Acts today. The book of Acts, uh, obviously, is a, uh, a picture, provides a picture of the history of the early church. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, this is the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples before going back home. An important promise. Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, what did he promise? What did Jesus promise here? They were going to get what? Power. But the power is attached to what? To the Holy Spirit. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? So they, 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 they didn't have that power. That was a power that was given to, him, to them by the Holy Spirit. And as such, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, when Jesus resurrected, just before he goes back home, you remember he delivers the Great Commission. It's part of his farewell address. He, he's telling his, his disciples to make other disciples, to teach them all the things that I've commanded you, and, and to baptize them, right? This is the command that he gives them. And, and, and so he, he, he gives them a command, he gives them a job to do, but he provides them the means to do the job. He provides the power. He provides the Holy Spirit. And so when, when we think about God establishing his church, he does the same thing. He gives the church the Holy Spirit that will enable them to be witnessed locally and across the globe. Now, you could argue, well, you know, this is, um, uh, the church was just starting. They're starting from scratch. They certainly need power to get started. So, so is this promise of power, this promise of the Holy Spirit, was that just for the early church? Or is that promise for us as well? The promise of power is for us as well. As Peter, in Acts chapter 2, as he's already preaching there in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, he's speaking to the, to the uh, people that were there, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive what? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, last week, remember, we talked about what it means to be born again. And to be born again is to be born of the water and of the Spirit. When we are baptized, when, we, when we've been born again, when we've had, experienced that spiritual transformation that we talked about, because we've received Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive that power. So that's not what's, that, that, that promise was not just for the disciples. It is for us as well. Well, it came time uh, for the disciples to experience uh, the fulfillment of that promise, and that happened, of course, at Pentecost. While the, while, while the disciples were praying together, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and each of them is given this spiritual power. And, and, of course, we know that Peter proclaimed a message to those that were there in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people were baptized in one day. 3,000 people experienced the, that new birth, that spiritual transformation, and, and sealed that through baptism. How important baptism is, as, as we talked about last week. 
And this was a major event in the, in the life of the early church that changed the course of history. But now, uh, the early church start, and what, what I want us to look at here in verses 42 to 47 is the description of the early church. You could argue it is uh, uh, the, the description of the standard operating procedures of the early church, the strategy. Notice in verses 42 to 47 of chapter 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added daily those who were to be saved. The standard operating procedures. And as they followed the SOPs, if you will, what did God do? He added to the church once a year when they had evangelistic meetings. Every day, people came and were baptized and surrendered to Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine if that happened here in Nashville. Every day, people are coming and saying, you know, I want a relationship with Jesus. What, what, can you help me, Mary, to have a relationship with Jesus? I want to be part of what's going on here. Every day. Woo. I'll tell you what. And some of us think, well, you know, Pastor, that was back then. That's not possible these days. I mean, after all, we live in a postmodern society. And we live in this neighborhood, which is, you know, an affluent neighborhood. And they don't think they have need of anything. That's, that, that was back then. But, but we just read the, the description of the early church, the standard operating procedures. And I want you to think about this. How similar or different are we than what we just described here, read here in Acts chapter 2? Are we, I want you to think about the Nashville first. Are we similar? Are we doing the things that they were doing there in Acts chapter 2? Are we doing that? Are we the same or are we different? And if we are not the same, why aren't we the same? And if we're not the same, what can we do to be like that? Because I would submit to you that if we were like that, God would be adding to the church every day those who would be saved. Because we have the power. We have the same power they have. Of course, today we think about church as a, as a building. Or we think of church uh, uh, commonly as something we do. Uh, we, we connect church with the things we come and, 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 and do in church. We, well, we hear and sit and, and listen to the Sabbath school lesson. And, and then we have a worship service. We sing a few songs. And then we listen to the sermon. And then we go home. We say, I went to church today. But in reality, of course, the church isn't a building. The church is a collection of people. The church is a community of people. A community of people. And the church isn't what we do. The church is who we are. You know, remember during COVID and the lockdowns, this is something that people, a lot, people said because there were, the, there were a lot of 
uh, uh, members who were very frustrated because, oh, the church is closed, and, you know, and, you know they were angry about the fact the church is closed, and people would say, well, you know, yeah, uh, but, uh, but we're meeting, you know, uh, via Zoom and all those things. We can remember the church isn't the building, the church is who we are, and that's true. The church is who we are. Now, of course, there, there, is, there is something to be said as we are here fellowshipping one, one another, right? This is very important. But the church is we are. It's what we are, who we are. And so you think about the community of believers that we read about there in Acts chapter 2. There, they are uh, shared uh, actions and activities just like we do. For example, of course, they, got, they, they, they met together to study and to discuss the scriptures. And we do the same thing, don't we? we? We have those things in common. But notice, they also gather to serve God and support one another through the ups and downs of life. They ate together, they prayed together, they met each other's needs, and by doing so, they made Jesus known to the world. So, so when you think about those things, you know, we have some things in common, but could it be that there's some differences too? That maybe some of these things that they were doing, the, the, the togetherness, the meeting each other's needs, maybe we're not doing as well as they were. You know, I had a conversation with somebody last week. And in this conversation, this, this person, he's a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, and I, he, I, will, I will go a step further. He's a member here. Now, this is highly subjective, but I'm going to tell you. This person uh, shared with me, you know, our church has a good reputation. Okay, we have a good reputation. We are a friendly church. Is it important to be a friendly church? Yeah, we are a friendly church, and I praise the Lord that we're a friendly church, right? But again, he said, we're a friendly church. This is the, the reputation that we have, but we're not a loving church. Hmm. It's not the same thing, right? We can be a friendly church, but not a loving church. We, 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 we greet each other, everybody comes in, we, we have a smile on our face, and we direct them to the bathrooms, we give them a gift bag, you know, we're, we're a friendly church. But again, we're not a loving church. Now again, I'm, I'm sharing his perspective. You may disagree, this is a very subjective, okay? But perhaps there's something to this. Because some, again, when we think about what the early church was doing, there is a lot of love there, isn't there? So, so, so when we think about the church, and the purpose of the church, I want to share two purposes with you. Two purposes of the church based on what we just read from Acts chapter 2. We exist as a community of Christ followers who support, encourage, and equip one another. This is the, that, that, this inward nurture, right? We take care of each other. We support each other. We help each other, you know? Because, you know, when, when, when you belong to a church family that does that for each other, People want to come. People want to be part of that, right? Because this is what's happening in our midst. And number two, they serve. We are to serve as representatives of God's kingdom in order to accomplish his work in the world. So that's the outward focus now, right? So we take care of each other. We encourage each other. We love each other. We equip each other. And also, because we're representatives of Jesus Christ outside of these four walls, now we are telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the two purposes of the church. And if we are not doing exactly that, then we're not carrying out our purpose for the reason for our existence. 
if we're not taking care of each other, if we're not loving each other, and again, this may be, again, as I say, highly subjective, but maybe some of you agree with that statement, that maybe we're a friendly church, but not a loving one. And if we're not a loving one, that we're not carrying on the purpose for which we exist. At the same time, we can be a, 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 a friendly church. We can also be a loving church. But if we're not out there telling others about Jesus, then we're not carrying out the purpose for why we exist. We have to do both. This is what we read about in Acts chapter 2. And the Lord added every day those who were to be saved. We see it, and this is what they did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, we read that they, take, they took care of one another, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They loved one another. And uh, the earliest members of the church were willing to sacrifice their own possessions in order to help those that were in need among themselves. And when they did this, it didn't go unnoticed. It didn't go unnoticed. You know, when, when we, when you find people like that, it's sort of uncommon to see that. Because we live in a world, and you know, with sin and everything, people are selfish. You know, people put themselves first. I come first, I come second, if there is a third, it's me too. Right? So, so, so to think about that, that we go out of our way and we sacrifice uh, 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 for the help of those that are in need, even if it means sacrificing yourself, People will wonder, well, what's going on there? It didn't go unnoticed. As they show love for one another and proclaim the message of the gospel, many outside the church became curious. What's going on there? Hmm. They wanted to understand what transformed Jesus' disciples into such caring and compassionate people. Of course, in the end, they realized they had been with Jesus and that Jesus was the source of that transformation. But the end result was the same. God added to the church every day those who were to be saved. I think it goes without saying that each of us want to see the church grow. Wouldn't you want to see the church grow? Wouldn't you want to see this as standing room only? Wouldn't you want to see this place that we needed a second worship service because there's so many people coming? They say something is happening there. Well, we need to follow the example of the early church. Of course, God does the adding, but we simply have to let him work in our lives and he does the rest. When God transforms us, friends, there will be a change in the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to other people outside of these four walls. I would say that is also part of the born-again experience. There will be a desire after that because there's such a spiritual transformation that there's something going on here that others in the community will see, and they say, you know, there's something happening in that church that I hadn't seen before. Let's go in there and find out. And they, want to be, they would want to be part of what's going on here. They would want to be part of the blessings that we are receiving as a church. And as we reflect Jesus and imitate the early church, others will be want to be part of it. Others will want to be part of this community. This community is important. Again, we're talking about love. Love for one another and love for those that are around the community around us. Friends, we need one another. Did you realize that? We need one another, hence the importance of community. We are family, 
a community of believers who are to love one another and even those who are not part of us yet. And we ought to do everything that we can by the, by the, by the power of God has given us to make sure that we reach them with the gospel of Christ. For joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.